Easter, the day that our Lord and Savior, after enduring the cross, after enduring betrayal and abuse and a criminal's death, would be placed in the grave as a dead man, but not to decompose and not to decay, but on that third great and glorious day, he would rise from the grave. The truth of that great miracle on Easter is the truth that Christians all over the world today are celebrating. And the reason why they're celebrating is because Easter means hope for all those who place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. So today, we celebrate the greatest of victories, the greatest of events, and the greatest of opportunities because it is through Easter that you and I have an opportunity to not live for ourselves, but to live for our Savior. Now I know in our day, things are tough. I know that for many, this was not the Easter that you were looking for or planning. But amidst all of this difficulty, Easter still brings hope because Jesus transcends all diseases. Jesus transforms all disappointment. Jesus transforms all difficulties and he uses them for our good and for his glory. That is the great promise of Easter. And even at times when things look dark, even at times when things look most difficult, it is where our Savior and our Lord reigns supreme. It is where he does his best work. So this morning I want to invite you to celebrate with me in this celebration of Easter. But in order to celebrate it right, we have to ask some really difficult questions of ourselves. We need to ask the question, am I living in light of Easter, or am I living in light of my own circumstances and place in life? We've been in a series that we've entitled Relentless Joy out of the book of Philippians. And this study out of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was given to a people in a church in a city called Philippi, which is found in modern-day Greece. Now, Paul is writing to these Christ followers, and he's writing to them to encourage them, to give them hope, to remind them that Jesus is the risen and Savior. And the reason why we can have hope is because he lives. Now, why would the Philippians have needed hope in their day? Because in our, just as in our day, life was difficult. There were questions about whether God was on his throne. There was concern about tomorrow and concern about what was going to take place in the future. The Philippians were worried for their families and worried about all manner of things just as you and I are worried about today. And Paul says that there is a relentless joy that can be found when we live our lives in accordance with and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, in our world today, not everybody goes that route. In fact, 
what Paul will say today in our text, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, is that there are two ways to live life. And those two ways are diametrically opposed to one another. And the net result of living a life one way or the other will determine what your future looks like. I was struck by this idea just a couple weeks ago as I came into my living room and my family was watching a new game show called Lego Masters. This game show has to do with Legos per the title. And what it is is that two teams of builders, Lego builders, are given the same amount of Legos, the same type of Legos, and then the judges give them a theme or a, a project to build those Legos with. And the team's jobs alone are to build to the best of their ability structures that are not only strong enough to withstand weight and difficulty, but also that are pleasing to the site. And so they're given a certain amount of time and they go off into their rooms and they build the structure. And the week that I was watching was the week they were called to build bridges. And the bridges that they built looked awesome. But it wasn't until the judges added weight to the bridges to see if the bridges could hold weight that the two projects begin to seem very, very different. I remember watching the first team that was fearful every time a weight was placed upon uh, the, the structure of the bridge that they had built. There was no confidence that their bridge was going to hold. And with fear and, and all kinds of disappointment, they watched as their project, their structure that they had built began to wane. It began to show signs of cracking. Then the other team they were confident. They had a science to what they had done, and they said, keep adding weight, and they were excited with every weight that was placed upon this Lego bridge. And then the time came as they added a weight and weight that the first bridge collapsed. All of the hard work, all of the diligence of building that structure was lost. I was blown away to watch the second bridge take on not only 100 pounds or 200 or 300, but would you believe it, over 900 pounds and their bridge of Legos held. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ spoke about this idea of building our lives, and he uses a similar metaphor when he says two men set out to build houses. One built it on the beach or the sand, and another one sought to build it upon the rock. And when you looked at the structures that were built, they looked like they were the same type of building, the same type of structure. But it wasn't until the great judge, the storm came, that the structures then proved their mettle. The wind and the rain came, Jesus said, and the structure that was built on the sandy ground it collapsed and fell apart. But the house that was built upon the rock stood the test of time. What do Legos and what do houses and structures have to do with our lives and Easter? The answer is simple, my friends. You and I are building our lives. God has given us all that we need 
to build a life that reflects Him and that lives in light of Him. But some have chosen, and maybe some of you are watching this today, some of you have chosen to build your life with what God has blessed you with, to build a life for yourself. And so you have filled your life with all sorts of possessions and all sorts of pursuits. It's about you and it's not about God. And what the Bible says today is that you should take warning. Because the hope that Easter brings, the hope that Jesus Christ died and made provision for your life is something you have pushed away and as a result you will miss out on all the benefits and blessings that come with a life in Christ. So Paul, because he loves the people of Philippi, he shares these words. And in doing so, he shows us two ways to live today. Notice in our text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here's the first way to live. For many of whom... I have told you, and now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Do you see the two ways you can live? You can live as an enemy of the cross, or you can live as a citizen of heaven. Now let's look at each of them with the time that we have left. First of all, we learn that the first way you can live is that you can live for self, and that leads to judgment. Notice again verses 18 and 19. After Paul has admonished Christians to follow and imitate the way of Christ by finding godly role models who they can follow after in pursuing Christ, Paul's mood changes. Paul begins to become somber. Now, in a letter that is filled with joy, Paul uses a phrase that we're not altogether comfortable with when we're talking about joy, and notice what he says. He's fighting back tears. Now, why would Paul cry? What would cause Paul that emotion? Because Paul realized and recognized that no matter how much he preached, no matter how much he told others about Jesus Christ, no matter how much he modeled for others what it is to live a life dedicated to the risen Savior and Lord, that there will be some who will rebel against that way of life and who will seek instead to live for themselves. 
who will reject the salvation that Jesus provided on the cross of Calvary and guaranteed through the resurrection of his life from the grave, Paul says there are those who will choose instead to live for themselves. Now right away you will say, as many will say, I'm not a selfish individual. I don't live for myself. But the Bible makes it clear we all live for our own desires and wants. The prophet Isaiah says, For we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us going to our own way. That's you. and That's me. And instead of choosing the life that God wants us to have, that Christ has provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have gone our own way, rejecting his way and following our own steps. Now Paul tells us what the characteristics or the expectations should be for those who choose such a way of life. Now notice you would say, well, why would anybody do this? Why would someone reject all that Christ has done and all that Christ is doing in our world? He's given us life. He's given us breath. He's given us all that we need for our enjoyment and for our good. Why would we reject him and go our own way? Notice Paul says that they are engrossed with temporal things. That is, they are um, infatuated with. They're enthralled. They're captivated by it. Notice what Paul says. He says a couple things. First of all, he says their minds are set on earthly things. I just want you to remember what you think is how you will act. What you think about in your head is how you will go about living your life. And and notice their mind is on earthly things. And Paul then says their God is their belly. Now, what a weird way of speaking. Is Paul saying that these men and women pay homage, they worship, an integral part of their digestive tract? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that their life is all about themselves, it's all about their appetites, and it is all about the here and now. It isn't thinking about anyone else, It isn't thinking about any other time. It is right here, right now. You you and I both know that we live in a time of instant gratification. And the reason why instant gratification is such an important quality in our world today is because we have appetites that we want filled as quickly as possible. And so we yearn for these appetites. Each and every day we make decisions on these appetites. The appetite for pleasure. The appetite for prestige. The appetite for accumulating possessions. The appetite for power. All of these appetites, each and every day we wake up, flood our senses and say, feed me, feed me, feed me. And when our mind is focused in on ourselves, and our mind is focused in on the here and now, then the greatest voice in our lives will be the appetites that are within our body. Now, these appetites aren't altogether bad. God has given us these appetites for our good, but God in his word says they have to be maintained according to his will and his word and purposes. 
But those that live for themselves are engrossed with these temporal things. They are living only thinking of today. So let me ask you this morning. What are you living for? What are you yearning for? What are you dreaming about? What things make your life worth living? Are they things on this earth? Are they things in the here and now? Are they things that simply just satisfy yearnings or appetites that you have? Now this is where it can be difficult because even uh, the most devoted follower of Jesus Christ can find themselves engrossed in these things. Let me be honest with you. I struggle every day with allowing myself to become involved with these things because the appetites within me are, are big and they're hungry. And so I've got to ask questions. And one thing I've told you as a church to always be thinking about, always to be testing are three tests when it comes to what you're living for. Well, how do you know if you're living for self or living for something else? Three things. Ask the question, first of all, what does my calendar say about me? What is the daily events of my life, my daily schedule, what does it say about me? Am I living for myself or am I living for others and am I living for the glory of Christ? Let's ask the conversation question. And the multiplication of the many words that I say on a daily basis, is it more about me? Is it about what I'm doing and who I am and how great I am or the wonderful things that I'm doing? Or is it about Christ? Let's ask the checkbook question. When I look at the money that I spend, is it for me to accumulate possessions? Is it for me to experience uh, appetites, uh, pleasures and appetites? Or is it about Christ and his kingdom? It is about serving and giving to others and being generous with others. You see, when we do the calendar and conversation and checkbook test, we will begin to see more clearly whether, whether we're living for ourselves or living for Christ. He says they're engrossed by temporal or earthly things. Now notice, this type of life does something. It makes us enemies of God. Now right away you say, wait a minute, Tim. I'm not an enemy of God. Yeah, I may live for myself, but, but I got no issue with God. I like God. When I need God, He's there. When I have to pray that emergency prayer, He's listening. I've got no beef with God. But here's the problem. God has a beef with you. And here's why. Notice at the end of our passage, verse 21, it says that he is bringing all things subject to himself. God has given us all that we need. All that we need for life. All that we need to be able to enjoy this life, God has given. And the only thing that God requires of us is that we worship Him and that we bow down to Him and are subject to Him. And so when a person lives for themselves, they become an enemy. That Greek word is ekthos. Ekthos literally means one who hates, one who despises, one who is hostile towards another. 
That's pretty heavy language. But that's what Paul is saying happens when we live for ourselves. And here's why. Because there's only one king. And when you and I live for ourselves, we live our lives as if we are king. Well, think about this. Think about if you were in a kingdom where there was already a king, and you start living your life as a new king, you know what they call that? A coup d'etat, a rebellion. And that's exactly what happened in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And that's exactly what happens each and every day that we choose to live for ourselves and not for God. We make ourselves enemies of God, hostile towards God, because now we're at war. Whose kingdom is going to win? Will it be your kingdom or will it be God's kingdom? Well, let me just help you. God wins all the time. But we need to recognize we make ourselves enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ, enemies of our God and Father in heaven when we choose to live for ourselves. Now, what will happen? I mean, some are sitting there right now and saying, hey, I like living for myself. I'm accumulating for myself all that I need. I'm pursuing pleasures and my life is pretty good. Why should I stop? So God's a little angry with me? I can live with that. Well, notice what Paul says. Paul says that their end, notice in verse 19, their end is destruction. Whoa. Paul says that there is a destructive end to this type of life. Now notice, he says their glory, notice, is their shame. That is all that one accumulates, all the prestige and and, and all the acknowledgments that someone gains for themselves in this life apart from Christ will mean nothing. Whatever you glory in will be what will bring you shame. And in the end, will lead to destruction. Now this isn't the only place that the Bible speaks so bluntly. Solomon in Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's, there's a way that seems right to a man that in the end leads to death. Jesus himself said that there is a way that is broad, that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to heaven. And so the Bible is clear that there are many on that road, and the reason why they're on that road is because instead of choosing Christ, instead of finding hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and finding the provision of Christ's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, instead you are living a life for yourself. And on the great and glorious day, when you stand before the Lord, God will say to you, you live for yourself when you should have been living for me. And the Bible is clear that when that happens, The only expectation that you and I should have is a fiery judgment in a place called hell where there's eternal torment and judgment. Now, 
right away. I know what you're saying. Tim, I came to this webcast. I came to your service because Easter means hope. I, I came because Easter means joy. I, I came here because Easter means peace. And the answer to that is yes, yes it does. And the reason why we can have hope, the reason why we can have peace, the reason why we can have joy is because though we were sinners, though we lived selfish lives, God in His infinite love for us demonstrated that love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he died and he was placed in the tomb, he did not stay there, but by the power of Almighty God on that third great and glorious day of Easter, he rose from the dead, taking off the shackles that bound us in our sin and gave us the opportunity to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. But in order for us to experience that, in order for us to enjoy that, in order for us to have that, we must embrace not a life about ourselves, but a life that is lived for the Savior. See, you can either live a self-centered life or a Savior-centered life. And instead of judgment, what you will experience is joy. Now notice, he speaks with such sadness. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. The things that they've set their minds on is earthly things. And then as if it's a Easter Sunday morning, the clouds roll away and the beautiful sun appears on the horizon in verse 20 with a three-letter word, B-U-T. But you don't have to live for yourself, Paul says. You don't have to let your God be your belly. You don't have to have your mind on earthly things. You can live differently. And he says that living differently takes us from the earthly things to now a citizenship that is in heaven. He goes on, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, when we live for the Savior, it's going to mean a couple things. First of all, it's going to mean we need to learn to be his citizens. Notice we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. In verse 20, we can either be kings in our own kingdom or we can be citizens of God's kingdom. That's a decision we need to make. And so we need to make that determination. And my prayer is today that some will abandon their kingdom and start living as citizens within God's kingdom. But it involves something. It involves, first of all, desire to leave your former land to head to a new land. My father, when he was 16 years of age, immigrated from Baghdad, Iraq, to America. A massive decision to leave all that he knew and all that he had come to love to go to a new land. 
For 10 years in this country, from 1966 to 1976, my dad lived as an alien in this land. And on the 200th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1976, my dad on the Chicago lakefront was a part of a citizenship ceremony. And it was in that ceremony that we learned something that we need to understand about spiritual citizenship. Because what was going to be asked of my father is going to be asked of us as we join as a citizen of heaven. You see, during the oath of citizenship, my dad had to affirm some things. I want to read to you the very words my dad would have read that day in 1976. He says, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I now will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. You see, to be a citizen of heaven is to, first of all, let go of where you've, gone, where you've been and join a new place. But in order to do so, you have to live in accordance with the laws. So you say, first of all, no more connections with the old way and the old place I live. And not only that, but when I'm in this new kingdom, I'm going to live in accordance with the laws of the land. And so when we become citizens of heaven, we say, I'm no longer going to live with earthly mindset and thinking. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to affirm, I'm going to uphold, I'm going to live in accordance with the laws of the kingdom of Almighty God. And, and where do we find that? We find that in the Word of God. And that's why at Village Bible Church, this is our map. This is our guide. This is what leads us to a life filled with joy. It protects us and it keeps us from sin that wants to ruin our lives. And it leads us to a life everlasting. And so to be a citizen of heaven, we've got to let go of the things of this earth and live with a heavenly mindset and we have to live in accordance to the laws. But why would we do that? Why would you give up a kingdom of your own to be a subject in someone else's kingdom? Here's the reason why. What Christ promises us. He says, listen, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back one day. Notice that we are waiting. We are longing for his coming. Our Savior's coming back. You can't say that about a dead prophet. You can't say that about a dead teacher. But you can say that about a risen Savior and Lord. Jesus' final words in the book of Revelation is, yes, I am coming soon. He's on his way. And on that great and glorious day, you and I get to look forward to the greatest change that will ever transpire. Did you know that Easter is a preview? A sneak peek 
on what will be the next greatest day of all of human history, the day of the resurrection, when you and I will be changed in a twinkling of an eye, all those who have bowed the knee to Jesus, all those who have trusted and believed in Christ as their Savior, whether they are dead in the grave or alive at the time of Christ's coming, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. We will be changed. Now notice what this change is. This changes from our lowly body to a glorious body. And we see that in the life of Christ after he uh, it comes out from the grave. He has a new body. He's walking through walls. He's, he's seen seemingly like a ghost. But he's different. And the change that we are going to experience is a metamorphosis. It's a dramatic transformation. A transformation that will make us different than we've ever been before. Listen, we will be in a place and we will be in bodies where there will be no more crying, no more shame, no more sorrow, no more pain. All of the old things will be gone. Listen, in heaven there's no COVID. There's no shelter in place. And this is what is in store for the people of God. This is what's in store for those who make Easter their hope. This is what's in store for people who instead of living for themselves, make a decision to live first and foremost, once and for all, for Christ. So let me ask you this morning, are you living for yourself or are you living for the Savior? You don't have to live for yourself anymore. You don't have to live seeking to uh, fill the appetites of your nature anymore. You can find fulfillment. You can find contentment. You can find hope and joy when you bow the knee and you give your life to Jesus. It is then that he will give you what you're looking for. It is then that we will be able to look forward to his coming. It is then that we will experience a change unlike anything you and I have ever seen. So let me bring you back to that opening story, the show Lego Masters. God has given you and has given me all that we need for life. Will we choose to build our own structure and watch it destroyed on that great and glorious day of judgment? Or on that day, because we have built our lives on Christ, will we experience joy and new bodies and a new hope? My prayer for you is that you would experience that change and that you would begin to live that kind of life because that's what Easter's all about. The opportunity to stop living for ourselves and to live for our risen Savior and Lord.